There's probably no sentence or perhaps this these combination of sentences that we hate to hear more out of somebody's mouth. I told you so. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. Those are some of the worst. <laughs> That's just some of the worst that you can hear from somebody. And I think it is interesting that I want you to imagine God saying that. Because that's what God says here in Zephaniah 2. So he comes now to his people, and in the first chapter, he's talked to them about their complacency. He's noted that they are satisfied in their wealth and their possessions, that they still worship God. They go through all of the externals that appear that they are worshipers of God, but they do not follow him or seek him. And now what's going to happen in chapter 2 is... God is going to plead with his people and he's going to plead with them in a way that you might be surprised. He's going to almost seem to kind of come at it backward to us because what he's going to do is he's going to give them three reasons why they should repent. Here is the the father pleading with his people and calling for them to repent and the reasons why they need to turn before it's too late. And as we look then at these three reasons that God gives, we're going to see for ourselves these very important messages because God is giving us the same three reasons as to why we should turn our lives before it's too late. The first picture is is given for us in the first three verses of chapter 2 of the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 2. And you notice in verse 1, he says, Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes like the chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do just command. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden. On the day of the Lord's anger. And so the first picture is you need to repent while you can. You need to turn before the decreed judgment takes effect. It's an interesting way to put that. Think about the image is that God has decreed a judgment that is certainly coming and you're waiting for its arrival. It hasn't happened yet. But it's already come out of his mouth. It is certainly going to take place. And because of that, Zephaniah says, you need to get together. You need to gather together your assembly. You need to be repentant so that at the end of verse 3, says, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger, that you will be ready for this to happen. Now, I think as South Floridians, we understand this idea very well because we do this dance every year. Every year in hurricane season, there is the decreed judgment of the cone of air. And as it comes over where we live, the whole idea is, you know, it's coming. It is certainly going to happen. Yet you still have a little bit of time to get ready before it arrives. And that's when you see everybody go nuts and the lumber's gone and the gas is gone and the food is gone. The water's gone and everything's gone. And that's the idea here is that the declaration has been made. It's coming. You need to get ready before it's too late. And perhaps you will be hidden 
in the, before the, the wrath of God, before it takes effect, before that judgment comes down. And so repent before it is too late. And so that is the image that he gives. And so part of that repentance, notice verse 3, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. These are the things that are called upon them to do. You need to turn by seeking God, seeking righteousness, looking to him and humbling yourself before him. But notice carefully verse 3, because I found what is stated in verse 3 to be absolutely jarring and surprising. Because he says there in verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. And notice the rest, you who do his just commands. I wonder if you thought that would have said, seek the Lord, you who are not doing his just command. Seek the Lord, you who are arrogant and not humble. No, he says, here's what I want you to do. Seek the Lord. All you people who are keeping God's commands, you need to seek God before it's too late. And I think that is a really interesting image that's given to us. Because here is a picture of the people doing the commands of God, and yet they are still going to experience God's wrath. Now, remember in our backdrop of what's going on when this is written, remember Josiah is the king. He has put in spiritual reforms and is turning the nation around, at least externally, at least visually, where they are getting rid of the idols and they are turning to worshiping God. And yet they are as they are doing the commands of God, Zephaniah is saying, you still have a problem. You might be doing what God says and still fall under judgment and still experience the wrath of God. I think sometimes a terrible thing has happened where we can sometimes portray, imply or give off the impression that, you know, all that you need to do in order to avoid the wrath of God and avoid being lost is. You just need to go to the right church that has the right leadership structure that teaches the right things on salvation. You'll be just fine. Just make sure you're in the in the right building. You know, just line up some certain things there. And obviously, following what God says about worship and salvation is important and not optional. But there are far bigger questions that have to be asked. Are you even seeking the Lord? Are you even desiring him? Do you even humble yourself before God? Do you seek his righteousness? Do you love him? It is so interesting that this is the wording because he is talking to a people who are doing the acts of what look like to be followers of God. They look like they're obedient. They keep the commands. He even admitted it right there. You who keep the commands of God, you better repent. And that's kind of jarring as you're like, wait a minute, I thought they're keeping the commands of God. Yeah, in a way, they're doing the things that look like they're the people of God. And he tells them, you better seek righteousness. You better seek humility and you better seek the Lord. That these are the important questions that need to be asked and need to be answered. Because sometimes what happens and we... See what Zephaniah is dealing with in the days of Josiah is by when you when you look at God in this kind of checklist type religion, I I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. 
it turns into an appeasement of God mentality. Well, what do you want? I went to church and I took the Lord's Supper and some guy yelled at me for 30 minutes and we prayed and we were done. I mean, so I'm good, right? It's like we've appeased God for the week. That's what their mentality. Well, we did the sacrifices. There's no implication here that they're not sacrificing to God. We worship God. The text tells us they're worshiping God. But they don't follow God. They don't submit to God. But they're doing all the things that look like they care about God. And so it's an important picture that's given here is that the need to repent while you still can, even though you may have certain outward attributes checked off the list, that doesn't make you right with God. And that's the first picture that Zephaniah puts forward. Repent then before it is too late. Second picture of repentance is found really from verse 4 of chapter 2 all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. From chapter 2, verse 4 to the end of the chapter, these are sections that we sometimes whiz through because it's just judgment decrees on all these foreign nations. And you see the Philistines are going to get it and Moab's going to get it and Ammon is going to get it and everybody's just pictured as they're going to receive judgment. And one of the things that you have to ask is why is he talking about all these other nations at the moment? And what we're going to see is that the picture is the need for repentance is not only so that they will avoid this decreed judgment before it's too late, but you need to repent because you look just like the nations around you. You look just like those worldly people and are not distinct and different. We don't have time to go through it line by line, but as he moves through these various nations in chapter two and describes what's happening to them, I think it is interesting that he even comes to verse 13 and he says, I'm going to stretch out my hand and destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation. Now step back because to us, we kind of go Assyria and Nineveh. Will be that is the world power of the day. And in the days of Josiah, they have already wiped Israel off the map. Israel's gone. They're done. And it's Assyria that did it. In fact, the nations that are described here, a lot of them are going to be destroyed by Assyria at the moment. They are the dominant power. They know, run the world at that time. And here is God saying, I'm even going to judge them. And notice one of the reasons why that is, is given. As you study the prophets, you'll see a, a constant refrain of what the problem is. Chapter 2, verse 15. This is the exultant city. That's Nineveh. Nineveh's the capital. I, I wanted to put a video. It was like a three-minute video of a reconstruction of what Nineveh looked like. Maybe I can do that Wednesday night for three minutes. Amazing. Amazing. Huge capital city of the world power of the day. And so he's talking to Nineveh. And he's saying in verse 15, this is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. <laughs> this is always what's identified by God when it comes to powers and nations and capitals. Is Here's what they thought. They thought they were untouchable. 
They thought there was nobody like them. No one would ever be like them. They are amazing and no one will ever knock them over. They will never have any problems. They will always be the dominant power. A little bit of history. Every world power thinks they will always be the world power. And no world power has ever always been the world power. But we continue to think we will always be the world power. Assyria thought that. In fact, the wording is quite stark when it says there in verse 15, the words are, I am, and there is no one else. Those are words that God reserves for himself. In the prophet Isaiah, God, in denouncing idols, says, I am, and there's no one beside me. And Nineveh comes along and says, I am, and there's no one beside me. I'm it. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God. We're all powerful. And all of that is a setup to show Judah has the exact same problem. The first word of chapter 2, verse 4, is the word for. Like, why do we need to repent? Well, I want you to see what God is doing in the other nations. He's judging them for their pride and for their wickedness. And then notice how he then kicks into chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing until the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. You would think as you read those first five verses, he didn't stop talking about Nineveh, but he did. He flipped over to Jerusalem and called it the oppressive city with all the evil that is going on within it. And how the prophets are liars and the priests are torturing the law and describing the evil that is going on. From verse 2 to verse 5, but look at verse 2. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. He's telling them you need to repent because you don't listen. You think you're above correction. You think you've got it all figured out. You're just like Nineveh. Nineveh says, hey, look at me, exultant city. I'm doing great up here. And Judah and Jerusalem and the people that are supposed to be the people of God are doing the exact same thing. Verse 2 doesn't listen to the voice, accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord and she does not draw near to her God. She has no concern for the ways of God. But notice then in verse one to say she's rebellious and she's defiled. Rebellious against God, defiled against God, doesn't listen, doesn't care. And that's why you're seeing all these things happening. The city is rebellious. The city is repressing because it doesn't listen. It doesn't accept correction. That's why verse three, the officials of the land are like roaring lions pictured as devouring the people. Notice the judges are like evening wolves. Also an image of devouring the people, leaving nothing till morning is what the text says. Prophets, they're treacherous as well. The priests profane what is holy. They're doing violence to the law. 
The whole point that's being made is that the only solution is that you would listen to God. Notice their whole culture and their whole society is completely collapsing because they don't listen to God. They're oppressing, they're rebellious, they don't listen, they're torturing the people, the judges are false, the leaders are wrong, the prophets are useless. And what's the big problem? They won't listen to God. That's the problem. They won't listen to God. This is a reminder to us. That the only way our culture is ever going to have any kind of true social reform, true righteousness, true justice, true healing, true joy, true anything is when the culture listens to God. If that doesn't happen, none of the things that we may desire will ever happen. And that's what's happening here. Here's the people of God. And yet. There's no justice, it's oppression, it's violence, it's wickedness. And notice all that God said there in verse 2 was, here's the problem, you don't listen to me. When you don't listen to me, your society falls apart. When you don't listen to me, culture collapses. When you don't listen to me, wickedness runs rampant. And that's what these first five verses then describe. In fact, I think verse five is interesting. It's position. The Lord within her is righteous. It's almost as if to say, you are nothing like God. Here is God who is in your midst. You're supposed to be like him. He is righteous. He doesn't do injustice at all. And you are far from that. You are so far from that. You are not acting or modeling after the God of righteousness and the God of of justice, And so they need to repent because they are not different from any of the other nations. They're acting just like the world, behaving like those on the outside rather than as the holy people of God. And that leads to the third picture of why they need to repent is that God comes along and now he begins to speak himself. You will notice in chapter three, verse six, it begins with I. Now God wants to step in for a minute and say something. Zephaniah has been speaking the words of God, but now God himself is going to say something. You notice in verse 6, he describes the judgments that are already being invoked upon them and describing waste to their cities that no one walks on them. And so here God is already beginning judgment. And listen to the words of verse 7. I said, there's God talking. I said, surely you will fear me and you will accept my correction. This is an amazing declaration, an amazing image that here is God saying, I thought you would listen when I talked to you. I thought you would listen to what I had to say. I thought you would hear my words and change. I thought you would accept correction. I thought when I came to you and told you my ways that that would invoke a change in you. I mean, just think of the wording there. Surely you will fear me. Surely you will accept correction, right? You're the people of God. If there's anybody who's going to listen to God and then accept that correction, it's got to be them, right? Even God is stepping back saying, I thought for sure you'd listen to me. And yet they won't. 
He said, if you'd listen to me the rest of verse 7, your dwelling wouldn't be cut off and all that I've appointed against you wouldn't be happening to you. If you would just simply listened, if you had heard what I had to say, then these things wouldn't be happening to you. I want you to think about something for a minute because here are the people of God and you would expect them to be the ones who would listen. Why aren't they? Here's God sending prophets saying, listen and change. Your prophets are saying, you need to repent before it's too late. The decreed judgment is given. Maybe you can avoid this if you just turn before it's too late. You're acting like the nations. You're being just like the world. You're not holy at all. You haven't been transformed in the slightest. And so change before it's too late. And now here is God coming to the end of this and going, now I thought you would have listened to all of that, but you won't. Why not? Look at the end of verse seven. But all the more, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. I'll say this in maybe a little bit of a nicer way than Zephaniah said it. Zephaniah just said, the reason why you won't listen is because you don't want to. The reason why you won't change is because you don't want to. You think you want to listen. You think you want to change. But really, at the end of the day, you don't want to listen and you don't want to change. The people are rejecting the message of God. They're rejecting the message of Zephaniah because they want to sin. They want to continue in what they're doing. That's what God's conclusion is there in verse 7. All the more they were eager. What are they eager to do? To listen to God? To make changes? No, they are all the more eager to be even more corrupt. I mean, listen to the words there. What are are they making corrupt? All of their deeds. All of them. They're eager for that. Unfortunately, I would suggest to us that this is really the problem for humanity. This is the human condition This might be my favorite part of the Gospel of John when Jesus makes this clear declaration. Here's the verdict. Here's the judgment, some translations say. Light has come into the world. That's Christ. And people love the darkness instead of the light. Why? Well, the same reason Zephaniah said. Because all they do are make their deeds corrupt. Their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. What Zephaniah does is he just pulls back the curtain and he says, here's what your problem is. You do what you want to do. That's your problem. The problem is you are eager to do all the more what you want to do. You want to be corrupt. You want to be wicked. You want to continue on that path. You don't want to listen to what God says. And I think that's such an important message for us to think about. Because we can do the same thing where we think we are just above it all, that we are sovereign over our lives and we have the say and we'll do what we think is best and we'll do what we think is right and We'll make those determinations. We will not consider God. And that's the same thing that's happening here in the days of Zephaniah. And what is so sad about this whole scene 
As God says here in chapter 3, verse 7, all of this would have been averted if you just listened. If you just listened. If you just listened to what God was saying, this crisis and this judgment and this situation and these problems would not have happened. That all of could have been avoided if you just simply accepted God's correction and listened to what he has to say. For us, I think the application is clear uh, for, for just the most obvious things that we are living in a similar circumstance where here God has decreed there is going to be a final judgment. It, we're already in the cone. The, the judgment is decreed by God. There will be final judgment. And so what will you do now knowing that that is certainly going to happen? It's the same circumstances that Zephaniah is standing in. Judgment's decreed, and your options are available about what you want to do about this, that you can prepare for God's return before it's too late. And one of the key messages that has been talked about is the need for repentance, that if you could repent, then you could enjoy the blessings of God. There doesn't have to be judgment and wrath. That doesn't have to be the outcome. But repentance is necessary. It has to happen. And he gives us the pictures how, if I brought us back to chapter 2 and verse 3, the same pictures are given to us there. That repentance requires humility. And that might be one of the hardest parts about true repentance. Because true repentance means I'm going to listen to what God is telling me. I'm going to listen to what he says and make the changes. Jesus began his Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount by speaking and saying that those who were poor in heart, those poor in spirit, they were the ones who were blessed in the kingdom of God. They're the ones that are enjoying that. It requires that kind of submission and that kind of heart. Please think about it. We cannot turn to God if we think we are right. If we think we're right, why would we ever turn to God? I've got it all figured out. I'm doing life just fine. I'm a-okay. Repentance requires humility, and we cannot turn to God if we will not listen. We will not accept correction. Number two, repentance requires seeking righteousness. Jesus said this very well in his sermon as well, when he said that you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things would be provided for you in Matthew 6 and verse 33. The same call is we have to stop doing what we want and start doing what God wants. It's the essence of repentance. And I hope that we would think about this picture of repentance goes beyond external moral reforms. In Josiah's day, when Zephaniah is proclaiming this, they had all kinds of external moral reforms going on. And he is condemning them outright and saying, you are doomed. It's not about faking other people out to look like you're a follower of God, but to seek him, seek him with your heart, to seek him with righteousness and to seek him in humility. But if there's any of this that sticks tonight, 
I want the words of chapter 3 and verse 7 to stick to you. I hope these words will remain in your heart. Because can you imagine after death coming to the brink of eternity here and God saying to you, I thought that you would fear me and accept my correction. You just imagine God saying that. This is what God would, for, for this one little spot, here God intervenes and says, let me say it myself. I thought you would listen. And I thought you would accept my correction. And I just want those words to sit on your heart and to think about on a day of eternity. That if God were to say those words, what absolute terror, heart sinking, heart crushing words it would be to hear that from God. I thought you would listen. And I thought that you would seek correction. The question for us this evening is, will we seek him? Will we listen? Will we repent? Will we seek the Lord beyond just doing his commands, but seeking humility and righteousness and faithfulness? It is our God who is just and right, who does no wrong. He does not fail. He wants us to be in a relationship with him, that we would turn from those things. And by being in relationship with him, we would allow him to transform our hearts and transform our lives so that we could be with him. Judah failed. Will we listen? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is chilling words to think about you telling your people that you thought that they would listen to you and accept your correction and stubbornly refused. And God, I pray that we would not be those people. We would not refuse to listen to what you are trying to tell us. And Lord, I pray that you would generate within us hearts of repentance, generate within us submissive hearts that will listen to what you have to say. And Lord, would you expose our hearts if we are a people who are, who are being hypocritical, who are doing the external moral right thing, and yet we do not seek righteousness, and we do not seek humility, and we do not desire you or, or love you. Please help us, Lord, to see if that is the path that we've walked. Help us to have hearts that you desire. Transform our hearts and change our lives so that we would be more fitting of having a relationship with you. And so God, help us in our repentance. Help us to see where we need to make changes. Help us to listen to everything you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll sing an invitation song now. It's an opportunity to get right with God before it's too late. To think about what Zephaniah is saying is that his call is there is certainly a judgment to come. Will you be ready for it? Are you listening to what he has to say? And be glad that you still have time. You still have time to make changes. You still have time to get your heart right with God, your life right with God, to turn to him before it's too late. We want to help you do that in any way. Can we help you? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?